And amen. 1 Samuel and chapter 30, and we're going to read from verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, in thy name, we give you thanks for your wonderful presence that's in this house today. And we pray, Lord, for your help, for your anointing, Lord, that you would undertake and that you would speak afresh into our hearts. We thank you for the privilege and the great honor to gather around your word in the fashion that we do without persecution or fear. We thank you for the liberty that we have in our nation, Lord, to open your word and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus. So, Lord, we ask today that we would not take these things for granted, but, Lord, that you would open our ears, help us to listen. Lord, would you speak into our lives afresh this morning? Would you encourage the saints, Lord? Lord, would you strengthen your body? Lord, would you anoint us afresh? Lord, would you speak in the hearts today, those that do not know you? Lord, we ask today that you would speak with the voice that wakes the dead. Lord, would you heal the broken in heart? Would you bind up every wound, bring peace to troubled minds? Lord, we thank you for the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So, Lord, undertake for us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said it, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were there therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, and their sons, and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said unto Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, would you say the last two words, Recover all. Recover all. Last week we just looked at this uh, topic, how to encourage yourself in the Lord. How to encourage yourself in the Lord. And this week we're going to look at that again. I'll pull back into it just for a few moments. But why it's important to encourage yourself in the Lord your God, especially in the days in which we're living. Especially in the days in which we're living. There is so much discouragement Amongst the body of Christ, there are so many believers that are experiencing great discouragement. And we looked why it was important last week that David, before he came to inquire after the Lord, before he would inquire of the Lord, it was important that David would encourage himself in the Lord his God. And we'll look why that's important, why it's important to encourage yourself. And I, I hope this morning that I'm amongst the people that want to be encouraged. You want to be encouraged, but do you want to be encouraged this morning? 
And you want to be an encouragement also. So it's important before we come to pray, before we come to inquire after the Lord, we see the principle here in this great story that David knew that he needed to encourage himself in the Lord his God. We look at his life and we discovered last week that one of the key ways in which David would encourage himself in the Lord his God was to remember or to recall the great things that the Lord had done in his life. When he began to remember what the Lord has done in his life, he began to be encouraged. We know at this point he's at a place where he's at a, at a place where it says that he had no more tears to weep. He had no more power even to weep those tears. He was at a place of great distress. He was at a place of utter brokenness. It was barren. It was, it looked as though it was all over. Even his mighty men, even his great and loyal friends that were with him, they were about to kill him. That's not there just by chance. They were about to execute David. They'd had enough of the journey. They'd come to a place of utter destruction and despair. They're greatly distressed. They've wept all the tears that they can possibly weep. They're at the end of themselves. And then David, we looked last week, one of the ways to encourage yourself in the Lord your God is to start to remember the great things that the Lord has done in your life. Has God, gone, God done great things in your life? Now, just stop for a moment where you are today. I want you to try just to, if you're in a real difficult place, if you're in a place where you can identify with David, that you've lifted up your voice and you've wept until you've no more power to weep. And verse 6 says, and David was greatly distressed. If you're at that place this morning, I want you to stop. But I want you to remember, begin to remember to begin to recall the great things that the Lord has done in your life. The greatest thing, can I tell you, is that he saved you. There's actually nothing greater in all of this world for a man to be born or a woman to be born again of the Spirit of the living God, the Almighty God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe and contains all of that within himself, comes into a heart by faith and saves a man. Is there anything greater? Think about the day that he saved you. Think about the day that he lifted you off the Jericho road and he poured in the oil and the wine. Think about that hour when you were lifted out of the gutter and that you were saved by the grace of God and your name's written in the last book of life. Think about the day he saved you. Think about his hand upon your life as you've lived a life as a Christian, yes, you've had troubles. Yes, you've had valleys. Yes, you've had hard times. Yes, there were times that looked as though you were never going to make it. But friends, by the grace of God, you're here this morning and God in His mercy has kept you. Think about all the good things that He has done. The song says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that He's done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah. praise God for saving me. And so you begin to recall encouragement began in the heart of David, even though there's men saying, well, let's just kill him. Let's just have this over with. Let's just end it all. We've had enough of this journey. But in his heart, he's beginning to encourage himself and the Lord has God. Before we inquire of the Lord, it's so important when we're in a time of great distress and I believe the body of Christ in a general is experiencing great pressure. 
When you talk to many believers across the denominations and across this world, you're hearing there's a day that we are in, the the battles that are raging, the troubles that are coming, the brokenness that they're in, in believers' houses, the things that people are going through and the trials seem to be like never before. There's always been trials. There's always been difficulties. But we're living in a day where there's a great pressure upon the children of God. But they need to know that we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. He's our God. It was His God. He began to encourage Himself in the Lord. When we look at the life of David, when he was, I'm just pulling back into it for a moment, when he came up against the giant Goliath, Remember what he said? When I fought the bear and the lion, God gave me the victory. So now when I'm fighting this giant, I know that God that gave me the victory over the bear, God that gave me the victory over the lion, it's the same God that's going to give me the victory over the giant. What's he doing? He's remembering the great victories of what God has done in the past. You remember we looked at it last week. He's running He's hungry. Saul's after him. Saul said, I'm going to kill him. The son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, I'll kill him. And I'm going to search him out. He's hungry. He's barren. He's on the run. He comes to that house. And what does he ask? Is there any weapons here? And the priest says, there's only the sword of Goliath. And what does he say? Well, give me that sword because there's none like it. What's he remembering? He's remembering what God had done in his past. He's remembering the victories. of. Has anyone got a victory from yesterday? Have anyone looked over your life and remember the great things that the Lord has done? Has he healed your body? Has there anyone got healed here? Praise the Lord. Look at the many hands have gone up. Anyone been delivered? We got a little taster of it at the end of our service last week when people began to stand up. I was once addicted to nicotine, but Jesus delivered me. I was in a place of despair, but he came. And I know that Jesus delivered me and I'm free this morning. He's healed my body. He's healed my mind. He set me free. This isn't a figment of our imaginations. This is the reality of a God that we serve. And so as we bring the testimonies, strength comes into the body of Christ. Psalm 37, just to finish this introduction, Psalm 37 and 23, we get to the latter stages of the life of David. His whole life is here before us in Scripture. He's an old man now. He's lived a whole life. But these are the words of David at the end of his life. Psalm 37 and verse 23. If you turn there to read it together. Psalm 37, 23. This is what he said. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Look at verse 24. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Look at verse 25. Would you read it with me this morning? Verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Do you know what he's saying just in our everyday language? You know, I've lived a whole life. I'm an old man now. And in all the troubles and trials and valleys and tribulations and everything that's happened in my life, even my failures, which are in this book for us to read. But in all of those things, I need to say this. I was young and now I am old. But I want to tell you, I have never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen a seed begging for bread. What a faithful God. 
What an awesome testimony at the end of a life that in everything God has been faithful. And friend, this morning in the 21st century, right up to where we are today, this same God that David spoke of is the God that you serve. And He is faithful. He will never change. Before he could inquire, he had to encourage himself in the Lord his God. We begin to think of what God has done. The great hand of the Lord. The power of God. The provision of God. When we come to that place of encouraging ourselves. What happens when you begin to think of what the Lord has done? Think of your life. I'm trying to provoke for you to think of God's hand in your life. What begins to happen in your heart? Are you stuck in a place this morning of financial difficulty or ruin? Are you in a place, you know, I hope you don't mind me saying, Maggie, but you know, if I had a pound for every time someone said this to me on the way out the door, I was about to say something. We would have already bought the building. But listen, this morning, as Maggie's gone out, she says, I wanted to get on my feet. I wanted to say something. What did you want to say? But only because I was sitting at the table that day with Carson and Maggie all them years ago. Terry Fittis was there as well. And if anyone knows Terry Fittis, you know you're still going to have a laugh in the midst of it all. But those men came into that wee shop and they're standing there with their yellow coats. Terry and I just sat down to one of Maggie's finest fries and we're sitting there and we're having a... And we see this man with the yellow coat. He's come in to pull the plug in the whole thing. He's waiting for Terry and me to finish our fry. And he's going to pull the plug, turn the electric off, and walk out the door. It's all over. And so as Maggie comes down, and Carson sat down, remember the day is clear with a cup of tea. We're sitting at that table. And, he, and Maggie says, he's here to pull the plug in the whole thing. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. This is over. It's finished. How are we ever going to get out of it? I can remember when she said, he's just pulled the electric, the till's now closed. And Terry said, it's your turn to pay too. You always get a laugh with Terry. You're going to get off with it again, he said. And we sat there and we just prayed, brought it all to the Lord. True or not, Maggie and Carson, did the God of heaven not step into that situation and you walked out of that shop, he cleared your debt and you walked out free. And so the testimonies come into the house. What happens? What happens when the testimony comes in? There's someone else here needs to hear it. When someone says, I need deliverance from nicotine, when a man stands up and says, I fought it, I traveled, I, I, I battled with it, but one day Jesus stepped in and set me free. What happens? Somebody else in this house is encouraged to believe God for the impossible. And so the importance of encouragement, the importance of being encouraged in your faith, to know the reality of God. When Elaine stands there and said, my sister's marriage was over. Our family was wrecked and shattered by the news that our, our sister was absolutely at the, And we remember those days as she cried and wept before the throne of grace. But what did God do? God stepped into a marriage and God healed the marriage. What does that do? It encourages us to come to inquire of the Lord that what God has done in this life or that life or this life, God can do it in my life. Why? Because He's no respecter of persons. Anybody believe that? And so the encouragement comes and the encouragement is important. Brother, you don't mind me saying this morning, the man standing in my kitchen on Tuesday night, 11 o'clock, you could have peeled him off the ceiling. For what he thought was impossible, 
What he believed was impossible a week a week ago. God, by his mercy, has turned a whole life around. Brother, when that encouragement comes into the body of Christ, there's so much discouragement. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are living in a cloud of discouragement today. People pour in discouragement. Even believers, sometimes you're nearly afraid to meet them in the street. You'd walk away worse than when you first met them. We are living in a day of discouragement. But I know this. Israel got to that Red Sea. And they looked as though it was over. And they could smell the wind of the top of that sea beating against their face. And, and the enemy was right on their tail. But I want to tell you, friends, I've read in this book that God opened the Red Sea. Moses had to lift a rod. But the next time with the Jordan, it wasn't a rod. They had to step in. Sometimes it just works in a different ways. Because God's way is not our ways. But we still need a miracle. We still need a miracle. And so we believe God as the testimonies are brought into the house, the congregation of the Lord, the saints are strengthened, they're encouraged. What's happening? What's happening? Did you feel it last week at the end of that service? What's happening? Faith is rising in our hearts to believe God for the impossible. Without faith, if we had our Sunday school here this morning, they're brilliant at quote that, aren't they? Without faith. It's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe what? That he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Discouragement, I want to just mention it this morning, is one of the most debilitating weapons of the enemy against the church of Jesus Christ. Discouragement. I tell you, there are so many saints are suffering from discouragement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every saint has experienced discouragement. Isn't that right? Please be honest with me this morning. You put your hand up. Have you been discouraged ever in your work? That makes us all feel normal. It's okay. We've been discouraged at times, haven't we? We've gone through seasons of discouragement. It's one of the most lethal weapons that the enemy will use against the saint of God. Discouragement. The English Language Learner's Dictionary. I knew you were going to laugh when I said that, Frank. Did I tell you we'd laugh? <laughs> the English language learner's definition of discouragement is this. I want you to listen. I want you to listen carefully. This is the definition of discouragement. It's the act of making something less likely to happen. Or of making people less likely to do something. A feeling of having lost hope. Or confidence. Something such as a failure or a difficulty that discourages someone. The act of making something less likely to happen. Or of making people less likely to do something. Discouragement. Discouragement's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like a cancer in the church today. Discouragement. We want to bring everything into the normal. Everything into the what we can do, what man can do, what man can achieve. All of our abilities, our intellectualism, all our, thank God for all those things, but we bring God down into the natural. I read in this book, we serve a God who's supernatural. 
And so discouragement brings it down to the level. There's a lot of Christians living in that state of discouragement. There's a lot of Christians spreading discouragement. But we sang it this morning. We're going to spread the tidings round wherever man is found, wherever human hearts and human woes abound. Let every tongue proclaim the joyful sound. The Comforter has come. The Comforter is an encourager. When the people of God were to go in and possess, what happened? What happened? What happened when they were to go forward and possess? Their own brethren discouraged them. Look at Deuteronomy 128 with me. Then we're going over into Numbers 21 and Numbers 32. Remember, this is the act of making something less likely to happen. Deuteronomy 1 and 28. They have to go in. They have to possess. Deuteronomy 1 28. Whither shall we go up? This is what they said. Our brethren have discouraged our heart. Our brethren. Can you imagine that your own brethren would begin to discourage your heart, saying, the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Their own brethren began to discourage them. In their heart, this is impossible. Why would you try that? Why would you go forward? Because God said we're going to possess the land. But they seen the giants and they seen all the obstacles and they said, we can't do this. And discouragement, their own brethren began to discourage their hearts. Numbers 21 and verse 4 says, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way The way became hard. The way was difficult. The way was narrow. The way was troublesome. There was trials. And there's a lot of people, even some this morning that's in this room, the way, the way that you've been going, the journey that you've been on, the path that you've been trodden, all the circumstances that have come crashing into your walk and into your life, the way has discouraged your soul. You're finding it too tough now. You're finding it as though you're just not going to make it. And so discouragement because of the circumstances begins to grip your heart. Anybody ever been there? Would you say amen if you have been there? Because what that does, listen to me, it's going to encourage some other poor soul that's in this meeting today. Am I the only one with troubles? Am I the only one with a hard time? All these people are jumping around this church and shouting hallelujah. Do they not know what troubles are? Listen. Every one of us know what troubles are. Jesus knows all about our troubles. And because of the way, they became discouraged. In Numbers 32 and verse 9, it says that they went up into the valley of Ishkel and saw the land. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Their own brethren began to discourage them in their walk. God is in the business, I want to tell you, friends, of encouragement. And if we want to be in God's business, then we better get into the business of encouragement. The Holy Ghost is in the business of encouragement. Joshua's about to go in, and the Lord has a message for Joshua. And Moses has to deliver that message. What is the message? Deuteronomy 3 and verse 28. Let's look at the other side. Deuteronomy 3 and 28. Joshua's about to go in. And now the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Moses, you need to tell Joshua something. 
And I want to tell you something this morning. I believe it's off the Lord for someone in this room this morning. I want you've been riddled with discouragement. The way has made you discouraged. People maybe have discouraged you. But Deuteronomy 3 and 28 says this. But charge, Joshua. You know, sometimes we need to hear the fresh charge coming to our souls. Paul would charge Timothy. We're in a battle. Anybody know we're in a warfare? We're in a real battle in these last days. We heard it last Sunday morning around the Lord's table. We thank God that it is finished. That the Lord has triumphed over our enemy. We'll look a wee bit at it more tonight. But we're running into these last moments of time. And the press and the intensity is coming. The devil knows his time's short. Jesus is going to come. He's going to gather up the devil, a third of that heavenly host that fell with him. He's going to cast him into that lake of fire that burns forever. And everyone whose name is not written in the last book of life is going to be, this is a real lake of fire. This is a real hell. This isn't a wee fantasy thing. Jesus is coming soon in all his power and all his glory. I'm preaching tonight on the next time he comes because he's coming. He's coming again. And so in the reality of this, Joshua needed to be encouraged. In Deuteronomy 3.20, charged Joshua. And then it says what? And encourage him. And number three, what does it say? And strengthen him. Three things that God would speak to Joshua. Number one, charge him. Number two, encourage him. Number three, strengthen him. That is the work of the Holy Ghost. That is the work of God. The charge. Don't. Give an inch to the enemy. Never yield a step in the hottest fight. Don't give an inch. But be encouraged, saints. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God. And be strengthened with all strength by the power of the Holy Ghost. You shall go over and you shall possess. Joshua had a Caleb. Numbers 13 tells us about those two spies. You know, thank God that God will bring encouragers into your life. Men that will encourage you. Friends that will encourage you. Women that will encourage you. Get alongside people that will encourage you. That will lift you up. That will tell you and encourage you in the things of God. But Joshua had a Caleb. David had a Jonathan. Jonathan had a young man. He was an armor bearer. And 1 Samuel 14, when Jonathan shared with them what he was about to do, go up against the Philistines, there's only the two of us. Do you think it's reasonable or logical that we should do this? It is completely illogical. We have become so logical today. We have ripped the supernatural out of the church. We've become so professional, so everything in order, so everything all day. We need the supernatural part of God. We need God to step into all of this. We need to believe for the impossible. If we can do it, we don't need God. But we need God, friends, in these days. We need Him to step in to the midst. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was upon him, and he gave it to David. He was joined to David. He was a man that said, David, I am with you through this. Jonathan and his armor burn. The armor burn is just a young man. We don't know his name. But he was a young man that believed God. And you know what he said? Do you know, isn't this encouragement? Do you know what's on my heart? I want to go. I want to believe God for souls. I want to see a breakthrough in that town. Or I want to see a breakthrough in that city. I want to see a breakthrough in my family. I believe the Lord's put this in my heart to do this. And listen to this young man. He turns around and he says, Jonathan, do everything that's in your heart. And I'll be with you in it. 
My God, where's the encouragement in the church today? We'll have a committee to decide whether it's going to be right or wrong. We'll pray about it for three years before we get back to you and then let you know. But friends, this is the day to do exploits in God, to believe God. And we need encouragement to come. Paul and Barnabas are lying in a dirty prison. At midnight, what are we going to do? Pull the quilt over our heads and just say, Lord, take me home. No, we're going to pray and we're going to sing praises to God. And the prison's going to shake and God's going to come. We've become so natural to try and work everything out ourselves. We have nearly brought the supernatural out of the church. Friends, we serve a risen Savior. He's an almighty God. David's encouragement came from the Lord his God to remember what the Lord had come. Because if you come to God with that full encouragement of a heart, there's faith there than to believe God for the impossible. But if you come to God with discouraged hearts and just unbelief, I tell you what that prayer sounds like. I know no one would ever pray this way. But Lord, there's only me left. And it's always me. It always happens to me. When it all goes wrong, it's just me. And like, this is it. It's just all over, Lord. I mean, I think we're better just waving the flag. Like, nobody cares. What's God? The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We may come with tears. We may come with broken hearts. We may come with troubled minds. We may come with sick bodies. But friends, this morning, come to a God that you know hears and answers prayer. Come to a supernatural God that hears the cry of his saints. The encouragement was crucial before he inquired. If he had just inquired in the midst of his distress, the unbelief that would have been in that prayer, we know that God is pleased with faith. But I want to show you what it looks like when we come to inquire of God with encouraged hearts and with faith in our hearts. And the Lord showed me this. Isaiah chapter 12. If you turn there this morning, I want to show you what it looks like in the sight of God when we come. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 12. Just keep it open at this chapter. We'll refer to it just for a few moments. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. And in that day... Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou wast angry with me, and thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah, what is he? He's my strength. And what is he? He's my song. He also has become my salvation. Now this is what it looks like. When the church is encouraged, when the testimonies come into the house of God of what God has done in your life, then it says in verse 3, Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. That's right, Frank. We begin to draw out of the wells of salvation. What is that? What does that look like? When you begin to bring your testimony into the house of God, the wells of salvation. Do you see it's plural? The wells of salvation. You know, we this morning have drawn out of that well of salvation. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you drink 
of the water that's out there, you're going to thirst again. But see the water that I give you? It'll be a well springing up into everlasting life. In other words, when the saints of God begin to bring into the house of God, that moment, Leanne, when you experience the healing power of God in your life, and he healed you by his great power, but you need that healing again. You're going for those tests tomorrow. But remember what the Lord has done? You pull it out of the well of salvation and say, He healed me yesterday. He heals me today. You come into the house of God in troubles and trials and you hear someone saying, I've gone through a tough time. I know it was tough this year. As Lydia Sharon this morning in her heart, by the grace of God, when that car hit that bin lorry, the bin man wasn't at the back of the lorry. That wee baby was safe in that passenger seat. The hand of God was upon them in that car. And it might have been a tough start to the year, but the grace of God, he's brought me through. And so now you begin to draw out from the wells of salvation into the house of God. There's a victory in the well this morning. And there's a victory in Jesus for you this morning. You begin to pull out of that well of salvation the testimony of the Lord. And then the church is strengthened and the river flows. Out of our innermost being, what does the Bible say? Flows what? Rivers. What has happened, friends? We've become all religious and all... You know, I talked to John yesterday, and, and he says, you know, I know there's something. He says, we run about, and I, your family are all Christians. I was wondering, you know, you just go to church, and, you know, you're playing the tambourines and jumping around. Yous were the crazies. Everyone in the estate knew it. There were some, and I was going, yeah, I know. You know what I mean? We were going to church, sliding down the back of the car, hope nobody sees me. And with the stop at the... Garage for a pint of milk or something like you're trying to go, oh no, you're going to see me in my shirt and tie. It was death. You understand what I'm saying? It was awful. But friends, I tell you, the God that they served has become my God. And the well that I that they once drew off and they still draw from is the well that I'm drawn off today. And I don't care what people think of me. I know it's hard when you're a teenager and you know where the tambourines are going and everyone's going, crackers, what's it about? Listen. Thank God this morning. I tell you what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be Pentecostal. It's not going to be Methodist, Church of Ireland. It's not going to be Presbyterian. But I tell you one thing it'll be. All the choirs of heaven will be singing and rejoicing. And John says, but Tim, I take my wee lad to this creation thing. And I sit in this car park near this church. He didn't tell me where it is. He said, I'm sitting in this car park and I see everyone walking in and out and everyone's he says, that can't be it. He says, they all look the part. He says, they've all got really flash cars. If you have a flash car, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. But in his understanding, everyone's all looking so perfect. Everyone's looking so well. And he's saying, but the troubles, in it, that can't be God. Where is God in all of this? And all our nation sees is religion. And an outward expression of just us trying to get to God, friends, it's a changed life by the power of God. Has to be a changed life. He's once a drunkard. At the day that my father, my father went up to see Stephen Nixon that his daughter was going out with, he was rolling on the fields in Beaver Park fighting with everybody. Look at him today by the grace of God. Not the truth, Stephen, sir. I'm not trying to embarrass, but that's what he was. He fought with everyone. He just was like a wee Jack Russell on the pitch. He was like, won the fight with everything. But God comes into a heart, changes a life, sets him free, washes him in the blood. He's saved. It's a changed life. 
I met Big Sandy yesterday, police officer in Down Patrick. He's no, he's getting frightened now. And he says, you know, when I see Brent, the change of God, the change that God has done in his life. He's about seven foot high. He says, but when I see Brent, and he's working in that barn the Hinch building supplies, and he's he's just going about his business. And I look at that life, and he knows what he was. He's a policeman in Down Patrick, and he says, That is it. That's what it is. It's a changed life by the power of a living God coming into a life. And so, friends, this morning, we have brought it all down to our religious acceptability. Listen, I don't care really what it looks like. I don't. Listen, if you come with a shirt and tie, that's grand. If you don't come with a shirt and tie, that's okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I do it just, I don't know why I do it, but I do it just to be respectable to the Lord. That's all the reason why I do it. But friends, this morning, if a man walks in here and a broken life and and he's walking in in ripped jeans and t-shirt and his life's a mess, I know this one thing. God will do a work in his heart first and he'll clean that life up. And God's able to do it. God's able to do it. Friends, we need to go beyond the realms of just what we can do. We need a supernatural God. We need God to step in. And we need to draw from the wells of salvations. It says with joy. With joy. It didn't say you'll just draw. It says with joy. Why does it say with joy? Nehemiah chapter 8 and 10. What does it say? The joy of the Lord. What is it? You see, I would, I would reckon that if you're going to draw out of a well, we don't have them, we just turn the top on. But if you were going to draw out of a well, you're going to need strength. Aren't you? When you drop that bucket the way down and you want to get something out of that, you're going to need strength. We're not talking about natural strength. We're talking about the joy of the Lord. That's our strength. And so with joy, you know, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what it says. Are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? It was David that cried, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's with joy we begin You know, I want to tell you, friend, you may not think that people watch us. I want to tell you something. This world is watching us. You might think they have no time for us. You might think they, they might think we're crazy. That's okay. But I want to tell you, if you don't think that people are watching us walk through those doors, there's, there's, there's people here this morning that sat in Genesis and watched us walking through those double doors and said, I want to go to that place. Tragically, one of them never made it. Two weeks later, she was gone. But her friend walked through these doors. Why? They were watching us. They were watching the reality of these lives. Is it just religion? Or is it a relationship with Jesus Christ? And they're watching us. They're watching you, friend. How you behave and conduct yourself. Walking into the house of God and how you walk out, how you conduct yourself in the streets, how you conduct yourself in the shops, how you conduct yourself in business, how you deal with people, how you talk to people. The world are watching. They want reality because they've had enough of religion. They've had enough of death. They've had enough of all. And they're saying, where is the reality of the God that you serve? And so... 
with joy. We begin to pull out of the wells of salvation. Song of Solomon. Stay at Isaiah 12 for a moment. But in the Song of Solomon, the church is pictured here in Song of Solomon 4 and 15. The church is pictured as a garden. Can you imagine that? The church is pictured as a garden. You know, you say to people today, what about the church? Well, it's how high the spire is. It's how grand the building is. Buildings are just a facility for us to use for the extension of the kingdom of God. That's all they are. And thank God for them. But church, the Song of Solomon tells us it was like a garden. That's what church should be. It's like God's garden. The Song of Solomon and verse uh, chapter 4, verse 15 says, it's a fountain of gardens. It's a well of living waters. Think about it. That's what, what's church. If I, we do a survey, what do you think church is? I mean, the last thing someone would say, it's a well of living waters. Is that probably the last thing the people in the street would say? It's a well of living waters. But this is what the Bible says. It's a well of living waters that streams from Lebanon. And then it says in verse 16, and this is why encouragement must come and we must draw from the wells of salvation. When we bring out the testimonies, then it says, Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, and blow. What does it say? Blow upon my garden. What's the wind? The wind's the Holy Spirit. What is happening? What's the picture here? What's God trying to show us? The church is a garden. In that church is the well of living water flowing out from the saints of God, flowing from the throne of God right down through the vessels of God and that river's flowing out from us. And it's a well of living water. And then it says, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, and blow upon the garden that the spices thereof, what would they do? They would flow out. Think about it this morning. What flows out from the church? What flows out from the congregation? What flows out into the streets of Balnehens and the streets of Ulster and the streets of Ireland from the church? When the wind blows, does it have something to carry out of the house of God down the streets to the broken lives? You see, they're watching, friends. They want to know. They want to hear. They've heard enough nonsense, but they want to hear. You go up there, doesn't matter the name of the church, but you go into any of those local churches, you're going to find there's a well in that church. And there's a fragrance that floats down Main Street. It's a fragrance. It's a sweet smell and savor unto the Lord. And what that fragrance is, is the testimony in a life. I've heard that there's a man that went into that place. He was a drug addict, a drunkard. He was the worst of men. But he went into that church and he found the Lord Jesus Christ. He was changed by the power of God. What happens? The wind blows. Takes the testimony. I heard there was a man lying on a theater table. He had a cancer, a seven centimeter tumor. It looked as though it was over. But God on that theater table stepped in, healed him. What does he do? The wind blows. Takes the testimony of life 
and goes down the street and there's some broken life in a wee flat this morning. They don't know where to turn to or who to turn to. But then the fragrance of the Holy Spirit brings the reality of a testimony and they know that there's an answer. So the wind blows. But he has to have something to blow on. He has to have something to blow on. What fragrance will come from our lives? What sweet smell and savor is coming out of us that the wind of the Spirit is going to carry out onto the main street of Balnehenge or any town, and then it's going to impact. A seed's going to be planted into the heart of a man or a woman or a young person, and they're going to say, surely there's an answer. Surely there's an answer. And the wind begins to blow, and the spices flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden. This is what it says. And eat his pleasant fruits. Fragrance and fruit. The Bible says, Herein is the Father glorified. What? That we bear much fruit. You see, he comes to the garden. This is his garden. And he's not looking all our great deeds and what we can do and all our great talents. What he looks for in that life is, is there fruit? See, friends, this is the key to being a Christian. See the day and the hour that this is not a Christian, that there's the evidence of a life that's been changed. What they once were, they no longer are that. There's the fruit of Christ in their life. Their character has been changed. We're not perfect, but there's a desire to live for God and live according to his purpose. And there's fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence. It doesn't matter how many times we say it, but there has to be an evidence of a changed life. And so he comes and he's looking fruit and the Holy Spirit's looking fragrance. So he takes the testimony of that life and he blows in the garden. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to blow. We need the wind. Does anybody believe that? We need the wind of the Holy Ghost. But we need a work in God's people. Encouragement. The testimony. You know the story very well. I'll just touch on it. But it was when the wells were filled in by the Philistines in Genesis 26. How many people ever heard that? Well, just don't switch off because you've heard it before. Because that's what we do. Oh, I know where he's going here. Well filled in. Dig it out. <laughs> I, I know. We see we get so familiar with it. It's, it's frightening. It's frightening we get so familiar with it. Oh, well, yes, I've heard all that before. I'm doing it. No, no, no. I want you to stop a second. Those Philistines filled in those wells. And so now there's no flow of the living waters. So it doesn't matter about the, all the outward activity. The well has been stopped. All the victories that are in that life, all the great triumphs in Christ, all the great things that the Lord has done, now there's a cap. And you don't draw with the joy of the Lord out of your well of salvation anymore. But you know how to do it. We know how to do it. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're taught to do it. So we know when to lift our hands. We know when to say amen. When the right songs are on, we'll do all. 
And, and we do it right, we do it sincerely, but friends, I want to challenge you this morning. Is your well filled in? Is your well filled in? Have you been caught up in all the religious activity and all the circumstances of life and all the trials and you're so discouraged but your well is closed? It says that Isaac began to dig again. Those wells, I want to encourage you with joy. Begin to dig through and draw out of that well. In that day, in Isaiah 12 and 4, praise the Lord, call upon his name. What does it say? Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, the inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. The Lord thy God, what is he? He's mighty, warrior, in the midst of thee. Mary cried, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done great things. Has the Lord done great things in your life? Come on, church, this morning. Has God done great things in your life? Has he done great things? You know, we sing that hymn, great things. Great things. The Lord's done great things, Peter. Great things in our lives. The Bible says this. You see, when you're asked about giving testimony, we often say, well, see my testimony. I want to just say, it's not our testimony. It's the testimony of the Lord in our lives. Think about it. Psalm 93 and 5 says, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The wells need to be opened. The water needs to spring. The fragrance needs to be in the house. And the wind of the Holy Spirit needs to flow and bring the reality of lives being changed by the power of God. Before he inquired, he had to be encouraged. Do you understand? He had to be encouraged. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, closing in two minutes, but in Hebrews or chapter 11, it's known as the great heroes of the faith, the, the great hallway of faith, if you like. And we read in that chapter, chapter 11, you know, I don't know whether you've ever visited like Buckingham Palace or Dublin Castle, but it is amazing because what they have hanging on the walls is all the great victories of Britain, of the empire, even in Dublin Castle, which is obviously not part of the, the empire anymore. Don't want to cause a fight or anything, but we've been fighting over it for about 300 years. But you know, when you walk into the throne room, Victoria's throne's still there. She's, her, her throne's still there, I'm just saying. But on the ceiling, there is depicted the great victories of Britain. Once ruled the waves, the empire. And as you walk down the hallways, what, what they're trying to do is give you an impression as you walk through in the Buckingham Palace and we get down at that time into the, the throne room and the great portraits on the walls of great victors and great battles that they've won. You get into Hebrews chapter 11, we're walking down the hallway of the King of Kings. There's nobody like him. As you're walking down the, this hallway in chapter 11, we see about Abel, we see about Enoch, and we see about Noah and Abraham and Isaac, and it's all by faith. 
and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea and the children of Israel at Jericho and tells us and Rahab and you're walking down by faith as it were a hallway of of all the heroes of the faith. Think about it. And all of this is encouraged in your heart. There's encouragement coming. It's all by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that seek him. By faith. And as you walk, and if you can allow yourself this morning to see these, these great words being uh, depicted in picture form as we often show our children, because it encourages our children in their faith, and they believe it. And so we're walking down that hallway of faith. And you know, there's no chapters in the original. Man's divided up the chapters. It goes on to say, and what more shall we say? Hebrews 11, 32, For the time would not tell me of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, of the prophets. And all these, it says, verse 39, Having obtained the good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And there's no break. Straight in the chapter 12, there's no break. Because as we're walking down the hallway of faith, saints, I want to encourage you this morning, we go straight into verse 1, and it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily does beset us, and let us run the race, patience the race that is before us. And then what does it say? We've passed all the greats of the Old Testament by faith. Then it brings us to the centrality of everything. Look on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it do? It brings us through all the great heroes of faith, the hallways, and then it brings us right to the throne of grace. And who's sitting there? The great victor, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. And friends, if there's nothing in this room that could encourage your heart more this morning is to know he's the author and he's the finisher of my faith. And I can come to that throne of grace the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 and 16, boldly, and I can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Before he inquired, David had to be encouraged. Saints, this morning I want to encourage you. You can walk down that hallway of faith, but don't stop. Don't stop. Walk right through that hallway into the throne room of God and see Jesus on a throne of grace. Be encouraged. The end is not yet. Better the end of the thing than a beginning. That's a proverb. Better the end of a thing. You may be in the middle of it, but I want to tell you, hold on. God's able. Be encouraged, saint, and encourage one another in Jesus' name. Brother David, would you come? Let's stand together this morning. Let's just thank the Lord for his great victories in our lives this morning. We'll sing that wee song again we sang before the throne of God above I have a strong